Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst with Faster Skier. We're hopping right back into it to recap stage three and stage four of the Tour to Ski. Stage four had some real shenanigans involving Frida Carlson and Jesse Diggins. We'll be back on Tuesday after the Tour's final climb, hopefully with a special guest. This episode is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup. To all Masters skiers out there, the Rocky Mountains of Canada and the Masters World Cup 2022 are calling. This coming March, master skiers from around the world will come together in Canmore, Alberta to celebrate a shared passion for cross-country skiing. This event will be a great opportunity to race in Canmore at the world-renowned Canmore Nordic Center Provincial Park. Go to mwc2022.com, that's MWC like Masters World Cup 2022.com. There you can find COVID plan information and airline and rental car promotions. If you register before December 31st, you'll also get a free pair of commemorative socks. Lots to talk about from the the um, sprint race today, but I guess we, we could start by talking about the uh, distance races from yesterday, which were also pretty fun to watch. Yeah, no, for sure. Welcome back. It was great to have Rachel fill in. We got some good feedback of Rachel. Sorry, Nat, like uh, people love her. I'm not going to lie. Like my email, I got some emails like more Rachel, more Rachel. So she did great. And she had a flu too. So she was not no like, well, I don't know if she has COVID or not, but she didn't say anything. She wasn't feeling well. So she really, um, she really took one for the team. So it was great to have Rachel and I discuss it. So for people that are wondering why we don't have guests, because usually we deliver some pretty good guests for the highlights of like the tour de ski and stuff. And I promise we will most certainly be better for the Olympics. Um, the reality is I asked around, I asked a few people that I thought had something cool to offer for these first two stops of the tour de ski. And they just at the last second didn't work out. And so we're just going to roll. We're just going to cover it. It's going to be nice and chill. It's a chill tour de ski. You know what I mean? Normally the tour is a huge highlight and it still is an exciting race. And I love it. It's my favorite, absolute favorite competition of the fish world cup calendar. No question. But the Olympics this year in Beijing just looms so large that, um, yeah, the, the, the tour de ski definitely in the Olympic year always is a tier two event. It's just how it is. So, so no, as, no. as with the events on the, on the skis, it's tier two, the podcast a little bit tier two this time around. That's, that's okay. We still have lots of fun stuff to cover. Yeah. I'd, I'd say my presence upgrades it to tier one and a half, but definitely yeah, not. To yeah, two. exactly. Um, yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're, we're exactly, we're like, we're definitely like in a challenger tour. Like we're, we're up and coming. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the um, it's uh, the Continental Cup of uh, or, or maybe the Scando Cup of, uh, of yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So I'm jumping in midstream here. We had some good racing in Switzerland, and now it's time to go to Oberstdorf, which um, looks like it hasn't been as uh, you know traditionally gray and rainy yeah. as uh, Germany can sometimes be, which is nice. I know what's up with that. I mean, the weather was fantastic. It was very transformed snow as well, which that, that surprised me a little bit for January, you know, Oberstdorf is a venue, you know, a lot of these venues are places I've been to, man, I don't know, like 15 times in a row. Like I've just raced so much. Oberstdorf is definitely one of those places. Uh, it's beautiful. And you see the pictures, you know, when the sun is shining and there's snow on the peaks, Oberstdorf is an absolutely stunning place to race. And the world cup trails are great. And the world championship courses of last year are just phenomenal. That said, we're going to start with the distance races. I know they like to have it tight because it's easier to film and it's a mass start and they have enough, they have enough space, but it makes for like, you know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's kind of like a flat stage of the tour de France, people that follow cycling, like 
they kind of just go around in a big group and then there's an exciting sprint for the finish. And that's what happens. And the fact that the men and the women stay together like they do really makes it for, you know, there's just, you, you're not getting a lot of time on people and maybe that's okay. You know what I mean? Maybe it's okay. But at the same time with guys like Bolshinov, you know, Bolshinov was complaining. I don't know if you caught that. Bolshinov has been complaining to Fisk going like, what kind of tour to ski is this? It's too sprint heavy when you get a minute bonus for both sprints. And then you're having these short match starts on on courses like this and you know i i gotta kind of agree with them although the the in linsa with all that snow that 15k classic was an absolute war <laughs> so but still like i i kind of see his point it's it's a huge group in the 15k skate and the 10k skate for the women and and if you're a guy like bolshinov that that sees that Klebo is completely unstoppable in every event um yeah it's it's gonna be hard it's gonna be hard to get seconds on anyone I'm going to throw out just a little bomb here and maybe we can use it as a um, uh, sort of segue into that 15k um, men's race. But, um, I, you know, I'm interested uh, <clears throat> when I go cover the Olympics, you know, it's like a, that, the idea is not to just write stories that we could write from here. It's to write stories that like you need access to China or access to athletes. And one of the things I was curious about was like, are there any other sports at this point where like men and women race different distances or like do different things? And like, I was, I'm going to name drop. I was texting um, with Holly Brooks about this. And I was like, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, Holly Brooks, the former American Olympic cross-country skier from Anchorage, a few miles from my house. And she was like, you know, don't make the women race longer. Just like, why don't we shorten, like, you know, do the men have to race 15k like and they just race 10k and I was watching this men's race yesterday just being like you know would it really suffer that much if we just shaped 5k off that I don't know um but just like an interesting idea I don't know what you think of that yeah well I mean I think I think it's incredibly interesting that cross-country skiing the women and the men race different distances especially up towards the 50k and even the 50k because there's a lot of talk right especially with Terezi Ohug being so good and Frida Carlson, some of the top women are just so much better than the 10th best woman in the World Cup. Um, so people's like, oh, if you do a 50K, then that means Teresa's just going to win by seven minutes instead of three and a half. But at the same time, do we say that about a marathon on the roads? No, we don't. You know, the New York Marathon is an awesome event for the women and the men. And yeah, the men run usually about 10 minutes faster than the women at the elite level. But who cares? It's still a great event. You know what I mean? More than 10 minutes, probably more like 10 to 15 minutes faster. But regardless of the, regardless of the fact is like, who cares? We should have standardized distances. And I agree with you. Like in Oberstdorf, I was kind of hoping for five less K because I knew nothing was going to happen. I just wanted to like, I was watching it live, but you want to fast forward. It's like, come on, like Claybo's going to undress everybody. It's going to be sweet. Let's just get to that part. But, uh, you know, I have that same feeling when we're in, when I'm watching the Tour de France in the summer or any, any bike race that's on a flatter stage. And, you know, that, that's part of the, that's part of the charm of these tours too. You get it all. You get like individual starts that are wars. Val de Fiem can be incredibly difficult. It that's coming up next to 15 K classic. You can definitely get some distance on your competition on that, on that course. That's hard. Um, so Oberstdorf just traditionally for the tour to ski, I don't know, they, they just chuck, it's kind of like a sideshow in a way, like a, a kind of a comfort cruise for all the athletes are, and, and it was again this time, but you know, like, should we have different distances? I honestly believe, no, we should not have different dif- distances. I think the men and women should race the same distances that said, and this is a question back to you. What about tradition? Because I think, I think also 
cross-country skiing has done a piss poor job of holding on to like some heavy tradition. So now in the women's event, the 10K classic or the 10K skate is such a traditional event that we can talk about forever. Like we can talk about how Nui Minova was. We can go even further back. Velve, the leader of the Russian Ski Federation, she was the best skier in the world for years. And we could talk about how good she was in the 10K. We can go even further back. Like, and, and I love that about cycling. I love that about track and field. And I feel like in cross-country skiing, we, we just so schizo. We're changing all the time. Like we're changing disciplines, di- changing distances. Venues are getting kicked out that have been on tour forever. It, it's, you know, my biggest rant of all time with this is Holman Colon. Like the fact that Holman Colon has been neutered to the point where it's like a mass start on a 8.6K loop when originally it was one loop. It was one 50K loop, individual start. And this race is like over 100 years old. And now it's been neutered down to like an 8.6 K loop and mass start. Why? You know, like you don't do that to the Boston marathon. Well, you don't do that to the, to the classics in cycling, you know, like Perry Roubaix is Perry Roubaix. Like that's what makes it. And so, but I don't know. Why, it's hard. why is because we're, you know, cross country skiing is trying to be a global sport and we're competing with like American football and European football and video game streaming. And anyway, this is a, this is a longer conversation. I hear you. Um, I, I, I'd love to segue into that 15K race because I actually, I mean, as much as maybe we're both complaining here, or at least I'm complaining, like I actually thought this was like a really fun race to watch once they kind of got done dicking around. And like, um, you know, I think it was about two thirds of the way through where you kind of saw guys starting to like ratchet the pace up. And then like, you know, you had sort of Bolshunov and I think there was another skier in there like, kind of making a move to like break the pack up, like almost in, in that, like last not finish lap through the stadium, like breaking the race up on the flat and, and making that little selection. And just like, you know, it was, it was fun to watch that group separate and to see like some different folks in there, like Andrew Musgrave of Britain, who was, you know, clearly having a a pretty solid day after I think a pretty tough start to his season. So I like, and then it just, it made for a, reasonably suspenseful finish i thought yeah absolutely i i agree with you I, I, and, and this is the thing like you know we had guys like this throughout the history you know when i was racing in mass starts it was under sodagrin like under sodagrin was the guy in a mass start that everyone looked to to just ratchet up the pace and and push the pace because you know he didn't have a big sprint finish or anything so you knew if he was feeling good he was going to make that move to break down the race into selection Bolshinov is a complete skier. He has the sprint finish. He, he's been the best skier in the world for a number of seasons now. And I agree with you. I thought it was, and also, I don't know, you, you noticed it. Of course, you noticed it and some athletes were talking about it as well, but conditions were insanely, insanely hard, like, like hard packed. It was ice. It was like, a, it was like an ice rink. They were skidding around out there. It was sketchy. Those descents are tough at uh, the best of times. And, you know, they're really tough if they're all rutted out. But when it's sheer ice like that with so many bodies in such a tight space, I was really impressed with the men for not having massive carnage all over the place. People were staying on their feet. There was some broken poles here and there, but it was by and large, like pretty safe. I was shocked to see how how well people were going around those corners because I know how sketchy that can be. Um, But yeah, like to your point, in conditions like that, wicked fast, 
you got to tip your hat to Bolshunov. Like, like th- th- that selection does not happen if Bolshunov doesn't make it happen. And you know what? It's his cross to bear these days. He's the guy that's out there just making those selections happen. And Mazi and Shurdotha and like Klebo, Klebo is going to win no matter what. He's unstoppable right now. But the fact of the matter is, without without a Bolshinov to take advantage, not take advantage, but to take charge like that, then we have a really boring race to watch. I agree with you. I thought it was cool he did it in a place that was unconventional, you know? And it shows how good he is when he's on form and he's back on form. I think that's that's for everyone to see. And like you said, Musgrave, even though I think the course is like, I think the course is a joke for the World Cup, if you want to know my honest opinion. I think it should be harder. They have the terrain to make it harder. You just go up onto the plateau. So instead of cutting that hill like they're doing now, which is they're cutting it about maybe like two-thirds of the way up the hill, if you just went up, like if anyone that's curious, go back and watch the World Championships last year where they went all the way up onto the top plateau. Like that, that's for real. And then you would have huge selections, but they're choosing not to. And um, when you have that course for Bolshinov to do that, super impressive stuff. And Muzzy, fourth, I mean, heartbreaking there at the end. Hey, like I was like, come on, dude, get your first individual World Cup podium here. Let's well, do and that. He was, he was, he was racing. I mean, you know, I, I, it was hard to tell exactly, but, you know, it looked like there was a certain point where like, like he went to the front and he was giving it his best shot. And like, I don't think his best shot was enough to like drop Bolshinov and Klaibo, but like, you got to respect like, you know, dude that does not have podiums to his name being like, you know, seizing the opportunity there, like super and just made it more fun to watch. Yeah. But also like, totally. I, I it was a great, it was a great attempt. Uh, he was feeling good. Obviously he has had a horrendous start to the season and it almost worked. And I was cheering so hard for him, even though shoot off that is like the nicest guy of all time. And he's also had a tough start to the season. And he's in this like epic battle for an Olympic spot for Norway. And it was really do or die time for him. He had to be on the podium or else forget it. His Olympic dream is over. And if I'm Norway, if I'm a Norwegian ski fan, I want shoot off on the start line of that 50 K skate. He's a beast. He's so good in 50 K skate that you want him on the start line and you want him fit and fast. So for him to be on the podium like that, it's great for him. But yeah, for the ski fan in me that likes to cheer for the little guy, oh, Muzzy was so close. And I hope we can see another opportunity like that. Another interesting point, I don't know if you noticed this before we can move on to the women, but the was uh, Didrik. Didrik Tonseth was in I, no man's land forever. And you're like, come on, dude, you're right there. Like, he, just he wasn't in no man's down. land. He was in the group. And yeah, then yeah. He then he got like, spat out. But then, he, yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, sorry, that's what it meant. Then when he got spat out, though, he was like in no man's land for for a bit there. He he didn't just go right back into the pack. He didn't just start going backwards. He was hanging out there like dangling. And you're like, dude, you gotta do this because he's also, you know, he had a really disappointing 15k classic in conditions that suited him perfectly, and he just couldn't deliver. And and you, I was just cheering hard for him to like, come on, man, you got to dig. You got to get back into that group. He wasn't able to do it. And then the pack swallowed him up. And then if you know what happens, I mean, you're just dust. You're done, done and dusted. He ended up 19th on the day. And uh, that was tough to see. And then the other thing too, like, I know it's, um, you know, these guys are seniors now, so they got to take a bit. I'm not, I'm not criticizing because I have so much respect for your fellow Alaskans, but uh, you know, Gus, it was a great opportunity. It was cool that he raced into the points. That's great. It should give him a little bit of confidence. He's had a little bit of a tougher start to the season, but that was a gift. That was a gift that, that race, he should have been higher up. He should have been better in his positioning. And there's no reason why he shouldn't have been like top 15 in that race. You know, he was right there. He was just, never in a good enough position and it hurt him. And that was a bit tough to see. Cause I think 
for a young, for a young gun like Gus, who's like just such a huge talent, he's, he needs a race or two to just get that confidence, put the confidence antlers back on. And then we'll see him back in the top 10, which he's good for no question. And I, it was a golden opportunity for him. And I, I feel like that was a lost opportunity for Gus, especially coming into Val de Fiemme. And I mean, and the hill climb, honestly, is going to start in the wave or start like whatever. So I don't really care what, what his time of the day is up the climb. Uh, this was a race that could have given him a lot of confidence. So, but anyways, there's uh, more chances for him in the future. Yeah. I'll just uh, quickly give a hat tip to, uh, Imanol Rojo of Spain finishing uh, 22nd because, uh, you know, nice nice to see a non-Muleg uh, Spaniard up there. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, probably more to say about the American men at some point, but I, I think it's, it seems like a good time to move on to the yeah. women's race. Well, here. the big show, and what a show. What a show. Like, I mean, I feel like I'm like, I am the biggest Jesse Diggins fanboy out there. I mean but the the best part of that race for me was you have two athletes in that competition that dig so deep every time. And that's Frida Carlson goes to the basement, man. Like she just crushes herself every time the bibs on, you know, Frida Carlson's going to give absolutely everything. And what an epic battle. Like the whole day was an epic battle. I mean, Frida, and we'll get to this because we all know what happened in the sprint day today, but Frida's sketchy in the pack. She's young. And she makes bad decisions with her positioning. She doesn't seem to really understand how long her skis are and or how tight corners are. And she actually fell twice in that competition. Yeah. And uh, hit the deck. And really, it was her race to lose and she lost it. But she just got so stiff at the end and lost her rhythm. And Jesse Diggins capitalized on that hugely. And no one descends better than Jesse. Frida had enough over the top. It should have been enough, honestly. Jesse looked crushed too at the top. But the thing with Jesse that's so awesome, you're never done. Like she's never, ever, ever done. It's crazy. And a World Cup victory, another World Cup victory for the US. But most importantly for Diggins, like what a fantastic finish. And using your head. And I also like to free skate through the line, not use your poles. Like I said, it was so icy. It was like essentially a skating rink. And she felt that every lap. And was able to be like, no, I'm going to stay low. I'm faster if I stay low and just free skate my way to the finish. She gets picks up a World Cup win for that. And you know who else I'm going to give a huge shout out to is Serena. Serena looks over, sees how much speed Diggins is doing with free skating and also decides like, no, I'm staying low too. And parks Ebba Anderson. Next thing you know, Serena comes away with a podium and a 10K skate as well. I thought that was pretty smart skiing. Diggins trend setting to do it but i also thought it was pretty heads up for sorry to stay low and and nab a podium there doing that as well yeah um I, a few comments about that i mean one um love to see it but also i'm just like uh you know another <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna be my crotchety dude in my living room here being like it's so funny to watch uh that you know home stretch of a race be like a, it was like a biathlon race basically watching oh, those free skate across the line like it's kind of ugly but we'll let it go because, you know, you got to do what it takes to get it done. I, I yeah, also yeah. just it's the worst. It's the worst. I'm, I'm going to cut you off. It's the worst when you see athletes free skate across the line to win. It looks so bad and it does look like bad line. It's, it's horrible. But you know what? When it's sheer ice, when they've locked up the course right. like they did to make it not soup, they salt right. the whole course like hell, then that's what's going to happen. Right. Like, what are you going to do? It's not yeah. Jesse. Yeah. And, and yeah. No, no, no. I, I, 
I did like the comment she gave to Fizz after the race, which was like, she was like, I just was trying to stay as low as I can so that if I fell, it would be a, 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 lot, a smaller distance to crash. Yeah, low um, center of gravity, like a kid. I, I also just feel like there is something about that overstore finish where it is like this weird vortex where like weird stuff can happen. Like you just like, you know, you see athletes like who should win a race and then someone comes from like further behind, like with weird energy that seems like there's more than they should have been getting from the draft from how far behind they were. And it's just like, how does this happen? I feel like we saw that a few times Um over the course of the weekend. I don't know. I mean, we should, we, I think we can and should maybe talk about this more and maybe save it for today's race, talking about Carlson sort of skiing, like a little bit of a, you know, what show um, I'm, I'm trying to use less profanity because we all say it. She was a shit show today. And she was a shit <laughs> show yesterday. Frida Carlson was a shit show this oh whole weekend. And, 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 every, and everyone suffers for it. It sucks. Cause she's such a huge champion, but she's young. You got to give her some cred. She's super young. Young people make stupid mistakes and Frida is just getting this out of the way in the first couple of years senior. And you know, she's not going to be making mistakes like this when she's 28, but I agree. She's a total shit show. Continue. It, it's just, <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I just was going to say, I mean, it's like, it's, it's one thing to be a shit show when you're me and you, you suck at skiing and you're flooded with lactate, but like when you're driving the race and have, you know, a dozen or more world cup podiums, it's like, you got it. That's like, I mean, it's like, that should be a thing you're, working on i don't know maybe it is anyway i it just it, it's like it I, I get the youth but i also am like you know when you're that good and you're good enough it's like you it, you would think that she would be able to just relax a little bit more and that's something that sweden's army of sports psychologists and coaches would be you know partnering with her to deal with you know yeah, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But I agree. I agree. Like, we're, but um, you know what? At the Olympics in 1800 meters, the races are going to be so blown out that it, she can fall 10 times and she'll probably still be on the podium. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Um, sh should we move on to the sprint here? Yeah. You, you had noticed, I don't have any, uh, oh, I think I do have, um, nope, I don't have any news here on. Okay, well, then we're going to say it anyway. We were trying to get news because we've been both looking around and seeing and, and i feel bad because usually we're pretty plugged in but we're we're not plugged in on this Haley swirble the fans that have probably noticed kind of weird right that she didn't do uh 10k skate that she decided not to start for a 10k skate of course that's super weird um kern takes to the start has a solid day she was 24th in the 10k skate which i thought was like that's pretty solid again it's just like so busy big pack it's all about positioning you know, if you're 24th, she could have easily been top 20 or she could have easily been out of the points with uh, that much traffic around her. But I thought that was a solid day. And Julia decided not to start the sprint today. Uh, and again, we don't know if that was planned or if she's has a little cold or what's going on. But um, hopefully that was planned. I mean, I think it is super smart. And I talked a little bit about it on the last podcast with Rachel. This is super smart in Olympic season. Use your head. Use your energy wisely. Julia is obviously in the best shape of her entire life. She's proven she can sprint at an incredibly high level at altitude. The sprint at the Olympics for Julia Kern and the relay 5K. I mean, these are the big, big heavy hitters. This is a chance to make history. So save your energy, do what you can, make smart decisions. So regardless, um, I hope that's the reason and not, not a small cold. And even if it is a small cold, it's not the end of the world with 35, or I guess now it's like 33 days before the Olympics. It's, it's not going to have a huge impact, but uh, two big names for the U S stepped out. 
two guys that I'm really impressed with this weekend and they were re- results that they needed bad both. Cause I, we can just cover them in two, one things like, so to Fabiani sprints to fifth in the 15 K skate, Callie Halverson sixth, Callie Halverson had a knife to his throat, man. He had to deliver or else there's only one spot left for the Swedish men's team for the Olympics. And Callie Halverson couldn't ski himself out of the paper bag, wet paper bag the last couple weeks, weeks, this whole season, even last season getting criticized a lot as he should, he should be the leader of this team and he hasn't been able to do jack shit. And then today, both guys made it to the final Callie Halverson fifth to Fabiani sixth in the sprint final for men. Both those guys have had really raunchy seasons the last couple of years. It's an Olympic season. It's great for Italy to have to Fabiani back skiing aggressive in both classic and skate and Callie Halverson. This is the 11th hour of his whole career. Um, he was going to get left off the Swedish Olympic team. No question. And now with two top six finishes, yeah, granted, it's a classic sprint, which is who cares because there's no classic sprint to the Olympics. And 15K skate roller derby, also who cares. But you got to post results. And the Swedish men's program is such a fucking disaster that top sixes, no matter what the distance or disciplines are, is something to celebrate for Sweden. And hopefully this gives Cali some some confidence because he is good enough. He should be good enough. I mean, this guy got to be better. And I thought... Thought he was skiing with some confidence both days. So that's cool. It was good to see. I, I think it's so weird how, you know, you can go an entire season, like three months or two plus months, um, you know, and and like, you know, I don't know, I, maybe maybe Callie cracked the top 30, but definitely like never contending for the podium, never in that realm. And then like, just like finger snap all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, maybe I should race the tour of Anchorage this year <laughs> because who knows I could win. Uh, it, yeah. you know? I don't know if you have the capacity that Callie does. That's the most annoying thing with Callie Halverson is the guy is good. He should be good when he's at his best. He wins world cups. Like he hasn't won very many, but he is incredibly good, but he just stinks up the joint and underperforms so regularly that it's frustrating to watch. Cause you're like, dude, you're better than this. And he was such on a knife's edge for the Olympics. And I'm not even sure this is going to be enough to get him there, but I it should be based on the Swedish men. Who, who are they going to take? Like they all suck. So, so it's, uh, so it's good. It's good that Cali's back and skiing well. And I, even though a classic sprint irrelevant for the championship, a 15 K skate on an ice rink, completely irrelevant for the championship. That said, it's it's a confidence thing with Cali, I think. And I hope I hope to see him in Val de Fiem in that 15k classic ski like he means it and deliver a top 10. If he could be top 10 in Val de Fiem, then Swedish ski fans can be like, you know what? Maybe Cali can deliver a top 10 at the Olympics. I don't think he's much better than that right now. I think the other competition, no, no, nothing against them. I just think the, the other guys are too good. Russia's too good and, and Norway's too good. But and and that's nothing to say with Ivo Niskanen, but um you know, it'd be good to see Cali back contending, honestly, for Sweden, for everybody that we need it. And, and the sport, the men, the men's skiing is, is boring as hell. And it's, it's Cali has the, has the tools to be fighting at the top. So it was cool to see. Yeah. I, I, um, I will add, I, you know, I checked the last time Cal Halverson was on the podium was 2018. Um, and then I will also just add, I mean, 
my coaches definitely were saying that my whole, you know, college and post-collegiate career that, you know, it just, I, I was the only thing standing in the way of my own potential um, getting on the World Cup podium. So um, <laughs> such as it is, I will also say we, uh, we did just get a, a little breaking news from our uh, faster skier colleagues here that both Julia and Haley, uh, Julia Kern and Haley Swerve will have colds. Uh, and that's, okay. I guess that's why they're out. So hopefully okay. it's not cold vid uh, and it's just colds, yeah. you know, they'll be healthy in a week. Yeah, hopefully. And and you know what, if you're going to get a cold, uh, well, you never want to get a cold with an Olympic season coming down the pipes, but if you're going to get a little bit sick and have to take some days off after traveling a bit and doing some good training over Christmas and having a couple races, the tour to ski, this shouldn't like people that are really worried or for our, for our uh, American heroes for the Olympics, that this isn't going to affect them at the Olympic games, as long as it doesn't turn into some nasty thing or COVID, like you said. So let's, let's cross our fingers that it's good. One other little piece of news before we jump into the sprint is there was Sweden was staying at the same hotel as NRK and NRK doesn't have the TV rights whatsoever for, for the championship. So it's a lot of the radio guys. And then they have a couple cameras just to do interviews outside of the official uh, broadcast because they don't have the rights to it. But one of the, one of the production guys at NRK, the Norwegian, the Norwegian NBC, can you say or whatever, uh, they, they, they got COVID tested positive for COVID and the Swedish, the Swedish team was in the same hotel and a lot of criticism, you know, this is the kind of funny thing with old Europe, man, like Sweden was pretty pissed that they're in the same hotel with the Norwegian, with Norwegian journalists. That's, that's, that's no big deal. But with the food and everything, it was just like one big buffet and there was other people staying there that weren't involved with the, the World Cup ski, ski circus. And the fact that this is happening a couple years into this at such a crucial time with the Olympics coming up. I mean, Oberstdorf, I love you. You're awesome. The hotels are great. Everyone's so nice in Oberstdorf. But in this particular instance, give your head a shake, get your shit together. I feel bad. And if any of the Swedish staff or, or athletes come down with COVID because of a because of a misstep like that, that's, that's inexcusable. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. So I, 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 that was too bad. I'm going to, I'm actually, I take a totally contrarian view there. I'm like, look, if you're an athlete and you're a team at this point, like you, like, I don't know if they lodged any complaints about this before, you know, it turned into an, a literal international incident, but like, I'm just like, look, you know, we're a month out from the Olympics. Nobody wants to get COVID. Like if you're a coach or an athlete or a service team member that's eating in a common area when you're in a hotel that has private space, like, I'm sorry, you should be taking your meal back to your room and eating it there. Like I just, I, you know, and it's like, we got vaccines. Like I I'm not like, uh, I'm not at all like downplaying the virus or anything like that. But, and I think like, I just think like, you know, you, I think people, unless I'm mistaking stuff, like these teams and these operations and organizations, like have the tools to take this kind of stuff into their own hands. Maybe they don't, maybe I'm missing something. I mean, I, I get that. Like, you got to go in a room and get your buffet dinner, but still it's like, you know, that kind of exposure, if it, if it happened, like, especially if people are wearing masks, which they should be doing given what's going on oh, in, yeah. in Europe and the United States. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see this. Yeah, I, I, I'm seeing it, that. It's true. And the other thing too, like, and I will say like, I don't know what they did. I don't know what the, the Swedish staff did. You know, the Swedish, the Swedish team is, is a, is a juggernaut in cross-country skiing. They have a huge budget and more importantly, they're really professionally run. 
And I'm actually a bit surprised to have heard Swedish athletes saying like, oh, there's a buffet that everyone's going to and eating at. Like, shouldn't the Swedish staff day one, second one, go it, see that, see a buffet with other people that aren't involved in, in the Fist family and go, okay, you know what? This doesn't work for us and talk with the hotel staff and throw some euros at them and be like, this can't happen. We need to have this a different situation. Maybe they did do that and the Germans were like nine, 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 who knows? But, but regardless, regardless, it's a, it's a perilous situation. And I really feel for these athletes. I, I, you know, we've talked about this too much over the last couple of years, but man, you know, the stress, like <laughs> this is hugely stressful. You get a shot at the Olympics once every four years. And this is tough. Like once every four years, you get a shot at the Olympics. And now you have this like just anxiety hanging over your whole team. All the coaches are stressed out. The staff stressed out. And, you know, I, I really feel for them. I'm so glad I'm retired. Like, man, I, I find it tough with school, honestly. Like I find it really tough with uh, the yo-yo with school. Like we're doing things in person. I'm weirded out. And then next thing you know, I'm smashing seven hours on Zoom. That sucks. It's like and I'm not trying to perform at any sort of high level. Like D's get degrees at this point, babies. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just like, I just got to get through this, but uh, these athletes are trying to perform at the highest level and, and they're under a lot of stress. So, I mean, yeah, we it, it, them a break. And, and you think about too, like, I mean, it does feel like, you know, just with what we're going to be seeing and experiencing in China, just like, you know, this, th I, I would hope that this is a lesson for FIS and for everyone involved. I mean, I'm sure China is like, going to be entirely next level, but just, yeah, I mean, I, you know, like you said, like Olympic year, it's already like hard on relationships, hard on, you know, your, whatever else is going on in your life. And you add like this, like, just you know it's not a cold it's not the flu it's like covid this whole kind of mysterious element like that sucks anyway um yeah yeah and then one more thing just one more thing on that is like I've, I've been hearing from some from some people in canada and this is by no means official so you can't quote me and i'm not a journalist that's the beauty i can just talk total shit and you can take it for what it is but you know there are some people saying that if you get if you like everyone's going to be tested when they get into china and if you test positive with symptoms coming off the plane, it's 14 days in hospital quarantine. That's what it is. So your Olympic dream is like done and dusted. And not only that, you get an all expense paid vacation in some random ass Chinese hospital for 14 days. Even if you just have a small, like my very mild COVID symptom, symptomatic illness, um, you know, this is a huge amount of stress. So I, I just, I, I just want to, I just wanted to say that one more time, especially with the Swedes. Cause you know, I've been also hearing like people like, Oh, the Swedes are overreacting. Like they got to chill out. It's like, you know what? I don't think they do need to chill out. I think this is serious business. And, and I understand that you don't get that many Olympic chances. And so yeah, I, I, I feel like I should to react. Yeah. I, I feel like I should add there that like, I guess I wouldn't beef with the Swedes that this is serious stuff. I would just say like, if you're Sweden, like you got to be controlling the stuff that you can control and not yeah, 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 letting exactly. some dumb NRK journalists like mess up yeah. your stuff. So anyway, um, sprint, sprint racing. Yeah. Let's do the women right away. First, everyone we're going to go first, right yeah. out of the bag. Frida, Frida, what, what, what in God's name are you doing out there? Like, chill out, take some deep breaths. Usa, Zen out here. You got lots of time. You're fit. You're good. It was outrageous. It was an outrageous move. The one thing is, you know what I'll say? Wait, wait, can you give us? I, I want like a full, like, frame by frame. Okay. Like, walk well, us through what happened here. Well, 
here we are. They're in the same heat. Jesse Diggins and Frieda Carlson are in the same heat. Quarterfinal heat. Quarterfinal heat. Yeah. First heat of the day. Jesse had a fantastic qualifier, qualifies seventh. She's looking great. Um, and, you know, this is a big moment for her. Like Jesse has been delivering day in, day out, but with, with the sprints meaning so much at this tour, because you get 60 bonus seconds if you win, as we know, because Jesse won the sprint in, in Linsahida, it has a lot to say for the overall. So this is important for Jesse, and she's on a good day. And instead, <laughs> up one of the hills, like, or coming out of a corner, Frida decides to, to do a track change. Fair enough. That, that's fair. Um, but you have to have some snow. You have to see some snow ahead of you instead of just blue. But, but she was coming from behind, I would I add. Know. It wasn't like she was coming from oh, yeah. in front and skiing no, no, over no. Jesse's tips. No, no, like, no, no, no. She came from behind. Like, and like right over her boots almost. So, and then the funny thing is, I don't know if you caught this. Jesse did the most amazing defense move ever. She felt the contact and she's like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to play this. I'm just going to move over into the next track because she had space to go into the next track. And Frida, instead of just like chilling the hell out and being in the track that caused that incident in the first place, she's like, nope, I want to go to the outside. Why do you want to go to the outside? You have to travel so much longer to be in that third track up that hill because the corner at the top is left. So you're going to have to cut back over again. What the hell are you doing? So she goes all the way over into that third track, taking Diggins out, destroying Diggins' day. And also, like, she has a lot to say for this overall, um, you know, I, I, it, it, and it cost her a lot. And, and it was no fault whatsoever of Diggins. And Frida just made a really, really, and we've all made them. Like, I made the world's worst decisions in races, so I get it. But it's just too bad when it affects someone you're cheering hard for. And it has such, it has so much to say. So she gets relegated to sixth in her heat, of course. But then the thing is, she has a yellow card from before and people that know skiing enough should know it's a lot like soccer, you know, except instead of ha happening in one game, <laughs> you, you have this yellow card that follows you for the season. And if you, if you get another yellow card for anything, you're disqualified, but now we're in a tour, right? So at first I was like, okay, well, they're not going to disqualify Frida Carlson from the tour to ski, but she should be, she should be really. And so they, they kind of tried to meet in the middle and said, we're going to give you three minute penalty. So you're relegated to last in your heat. You're disqualified from the results. So you're last in the competition actually, because it said DSQ. And, and then, and then they're saying, but then they said to Frida, we're giving you a three minute penalty. Well, this, it was just such a shitty deal all around because now the tour de skis, like the, the main story of the tour de ski is like the two big names, Diggins and, and Frida Ebba's in there and Heidi Wang. And I know, but like two huge names, um Frida's like screw this I'm going home what's the point I'm done I'm going to focus on the Olympics and quite frankly th this could play into Frida's hand big time and she has a track record look how she came into Seyfeld total boss as a junior winning medals individually Oberstorf had a little bit of a troubled run up into Oberstorf too if you guys remember last year at the world championships got to the world championships put all those ghosts to bed and crushed everybody other than Teresa and now she's leaving the tour pissed at herself but also like in a tough situation she's going to get to the olympics she's going to be hungry she's going to be a bit more rested and uh jesse now is in a big fight i mean like jesse now goes from some from first to now like you know she's third now in the overall standings and that's no big deal for her because like she's going to take out niskanen up the climb 
although Niskanen is skiing classic really well. But regardless, she's 38 seconds from Nepreva in the overall standings now. Nepreva won the sprint, by the way. It was awesome. We'll come back to that. Um, but but now Diggins is 38 down. And Ebba Anderson, who is Diggins' is now biggest threat for the overall, she's in sixth and she's a minute 14 down. So those bonus seconds matter because Ebba Anderson is a garb. Not that's not true, but Ebba Anderson is not a great sprinter. She rarely, if ever, qualifies. She didn't qualify again today, and this was a huge opportunity for Jesse to take like almost a minute. Say she doesn't win, but say she's like in the final, she's taking like forty-five plus seconds on Ebba Anderson, and that's going to come in handy because Ebba's great up the climb. I I gotta say, um, really impressed with. Jesse, like if Jesse had been Bolshunov, I feel like you would have seen her cross the finish line, like like break three pairs of skis over her leg, like like step up to Carlson and 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 break break a pole, you know, shoving it at her or whatever. And you know, you just saw Jesse like get up, finish the race. You know, I, I, maybe maybe she threw a temper tantrum in the wax bus or or something, but just like for her to, to, you know, not sort of lose focus or lose her shit um, after, you know, just being so kind of blatantly taken out. And in a way that like, you know, we're not talking about like messing up, you, you know, going from first to second, but going from potential first place to like, you know, your 29th on the day or, or 30th as, or, or, or whatever, like that huge, huge, um, loss for Jesse. And, you know, I, I don't yeah. know what we've heard from her, but I, I just, you know, she, I felt like she handled like that, handled that like a professional when she didn't have to, um, just to kind of add on to, I mean, I think I was reading a little bit in the, in the Scandinavian press this morning. I mean, there was a lot of criticism kind of from everyone saying like, you know, I don't think anyone was disagreeing that Frida Carlson screwed up and deserved to be relegated or punished in some fashion, but like, you know, again, like you were saying, three minute penalty, you know, basically ending the competition between her and Jesse for the tour. Like if you are, you know, FIS race organizers, if you are, you know, TV networks that are, you know, depending on this drama between those two, if you're sponsors that want eyeballs on your Gruyere cheese in your Audi luxury cars and, and this dumb rule or ruling from FIS, and I, I will admit, I don't know exactly sort of how much discretion was exercised by the jury versus was dictated by the rules, but regardless, like, come on, like, don't do this to us. You, there's gotta be a better way. I mean, and I, and I hope, you know, I hope it's like, you can't envision every, scenario in the rules but you would think that this should be a learning experience for for fists um so that you know we don't get the our, our racing like just kind of neutered of, of drama i mean that said it's like you know free, this is like whatever the second time that frida's done something really dumb and i think you know it's important to sort of send that message but um you know yeah it, it just it's kind of a bummer of a way for that whole yeah no it is and I agree, like it's a bummer all around, but I'm going to take like, I'm going to argue a little bit on that. Like at first I was super pissed. I'm like, oh my God, what? They're giving her three minutes. Cause like, really, it is so arbitrary. Three minutes, two minutes, five minutes. Like what? <laughs> they're just like ah, three minutes. You know what I mean? Like, and that doesn't matter. Cause it's enough that it's going to send her home. She's like, there's no point in me staying here. I'm going to focus on the Olympics. And like you said, the competition for the tour de ski misses the biggest star in the race. Frida Carlson's the biggest star in the tour de ski, hands down. 
like nothing against Jesse, but I mean, Frida Carlson, just look at her championship record. Like she's a huge star. And, but that said, you know, when Zidane and the world cup headbutts a dude from Italy, he gets tossed out for that. Cause you know what? Y'all can't headbutt dudes. You're done. And how did that end? It actually wrecked the competition. France was playing better than Italy in that world cup, but Italy gets to hoist the trophy and Zidane is done. And the thing is Frida made an incredibly dumb move. And had she not had a yellow card from before, she would have probably, they would have, you, they, they would have relegated her to last in the heat and given her a yellow card when really she should have been in a normal world cup. She's getting DQ'd by every jury out there, but yeah. because it's a tour de ski and the drama and the pressure, they would have for sure just given her a yellow card and been like, okay, you're, you're, you go from, she finished third in that heat. Okay. You're now sixth. And you get a yellow card, but you get to continue and she'd still be top 10 in the overall and, and could come back. But you got to send a message because this is also a problem that, that FIS has had over the last few years. You know, we used to joke around about it, but it's like Norwegian stars do no wrong. They're like skating all over classic races and it's like never getting DQ'd. And then a Canadian does like three strides. And it's like, you're out. It's like, you know, there's a bit too much discretion in the past with FIS and, um, of course, I'm being totally like cheeky. That's not really what happened, but we just joked around that like that Norwegian stars got a pass with with kind of with mostly obstruction, not skating in classic races, mostly in ob- obstruction cases. Whereas like Russians, they come down harder on Russians. It seems like, or come down harder on smaller countries. It's probably not true, but it, that's what it seems like from the outside. And and you know, you can't be skiing like an idiot like that. And the thing is you've changed the, the race now. Actually, like yeah. now Jesse Diggins was in the driver's seat, qualifying seventh, skiing well, beautiful technique, looking really good to move through at least to the semis, if not better. And now she's going to be in a dogfight to win the tour. She really is. And and her white whale is coming. Like Val de Fiemme is not Jesse Diggins' best venue for, cla- for 10K classics. Like she has stunk up the joint in Val de Fiemme before. And I'm just hoping and praying we're not going to get some raunchy conditions because Diggins struggles in raunchy conditions in, in uh, Val de Fiemme. And now she's a 38 second deficit. And that's, that's not, that's not that, that's not the problem. The problem is Ebba Anderson is a minute 14 off Nepreva and, and Diggins is 38 seconds off Nepreva. Oof. I'm not sleeping well at night. Ebba's great in a 10 K classic in Val de Fiemme. She's always on the podium in pretty much every distance race she does. Like, it, it's it, it, it was unnecessary and I'm bummed I'm bummed for Diggins yeah, and I'm bummed yeah. for that competition yeah no it's fair and I think I mean I think it's a good point it's like you know ultimately you know you can sort of parse out who do you blame for creating kind of this like shitty situation is it is it Fiss is it the rules is it Frida Carlson and it's kind of like I, you know I think I do think you're right um in large part that like you know once Frida Carlson takes Jesse out of that sprint heat. Like, you know what, like that, what do you do? Um, if you're, if you're fists, like, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't advance Jesse into the semis now. And so, you know, it's gotta be, it's gotta be fair. So, um, I think that's a legit point. Yeah. But and moving on, we'll get like covering the sprint. I thought there's some fun stories to Hogstrom from Sweden, huge talent, young, exciting, Fourth best sprinter on the Swedish women's team, nonetheless. But yeah, yeah. And you know what? Fifth best sprinter. She shouldn't. Not normally, but 
she just got uh, this talking about professionalism and I agree with you. I would just want to, I just want to make this on the record. Like Jesse was an amazing professional in that situation. I've, I mean, I have all the respect in the world for Jesse Diggins, but I, like, like you said, seeing her cross the line, you could tell she was pissed, but she kept it together. And I mean, yeah, that was amazing. But Hogstrom also for a young athlete to get the news two days ago that you're not going to the Olympics. Sweden's picking Anna Divik for the last spot on the Swedish team. And then, and then coming out and she raced to win. She's like, you made a mistake. I'm, I should be on that Olympic team. And now my first chance, my first chance to show my medal, I'm going to freaking take this. And man, she did everything right. She just didn't like you, there's just like one person in that field. You do not want to be in striking distance in that double pole. And that's Neprieva in on form. We've seen that from Neprieva so many times before. She's so good on a finishing stretch when she's in striking distance and in good shape. And Neprieva is both those things comes away with the win, but awesome race for Hagstrom. So cool to see. And, um, Matt and Talo, first world cup podium. Finland's having a great tour and it's so fun to see the finish ski federation climbing back and having some great results it's going to be fun for the olympics um really fun to see so that, that was, it was i thought the women's sprint was just it had so much drama the final was awesome great storylines and women's racing this whole season has just been so awesome to follow and and watch uh i've just loved it i've loved every single stop every race on the women's side it's been it's been just fantastic um i i would just sort of um jump in that like tons of diversity in the results this weekend, you know, in this race in particular, like, you know, two Russians, a Norwegian, a Slovenian, a Finn and a Swede in the women's sprint final, uh, you moved down to the, um, semis, you had, uh, Greta Laurent from Italy and Feindrich from Switzerland and a German in there, um, you know, similar, like with the men's field, you know, you saw, um, Musgrave in there, just like, just, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's one of the nice things about the tour to ski is like, you know, these like kind of longer events, like you just weird things start happening and names start rising up that, you know, um, you don't necessarily see in, in a normal weekend. And I, I just, I really appreciate that. Um, I, I, I just felt like, um, that, that women's final was like, it was just, it was just fun to watch. Um, oh, yeah. it was awesome. And, and, um, you know, could, could go for some more racing like that. So, um, me too. And think- it's not often, and it's not often that you see like just one more time, one more, like to sing the praises of Matt and Matt and Talo one more time is it's not like, she didn't have competition. I mean, Lampich is on the podium every sprint. She is an amazing classic sprinter and she held her off in the finishing stretch and, and relegated Lampich to fourth. And it, it is not often when Lampich is in a position like she was in to not get on the podium again. So a huge race for the Finn. And on the antithesis of what you just said is the men's race, because that was a beatdown of epic proportions. Uh, Norway, one, two, three, and four, uh, which we're used to seeing the last 15, 20 years in classic sprints. Norway is just the best classic sprint nation. They just are. Uh, Norway is so good in the classic sprint, and they have been traditionally. So not super surprising. Klebo, you know, everyone's saying, like, it's funny. It's, it's a, This is actually really funny. When you're old like me, everyone's like, 
his competitions, like we can't beat you. We don't know how to beat you. He's unstoppable. He can't be stopped. But I also remember, you have to remember as a ski fan that maybe is getting a bit bored because like Claybo, he's just playing with the competition. He's, he's, he's head and shoulders better than everyone else uh, in this tour to ski so far. But you also have to remember, we've seen, we've seen Ustugov come away from the tour with five stage wins. Back in the days, back in the days, like Petter Nortug, every single tour, it seemed like he was winning four or five stages, you know? Of course, I'm exaggerating, but he'd win a few stages every single tour to ski. So Klebo's on top form, but, you know, these guys behind him are good. And I mean, uh, we saw Tarentev give him a beat down in Ruka. And then yeah. you know, that was my, like, one, I, I like, Tarentev, like, he was, like, oh. kind of the man of the day, you know, breaking a pole, I think in his quarter, uh, yeah. right off the bat. And then like pulled this awesome move, like yanks his, uh, strap off with his teeth, gets a new pole. Like, I don't remember if he won that heat or, or came in second, but like, you know, moves on. And then in the semis, uh, you know, is right there with Clybo and just like, I don't really know what he's doing in that situation either. I mean, I guess he, you know, we could say he pulled a Rosie Brandon and just kind of like took himself out there, but like just sort of gets the lightest edge of his ski on, on, uh, I think Clybo's ski and, and takes himself out. And that that just was disappointing because, you know, it seemed like he was, he was skiing well. And, and, you know, as, as, as I was saying, like, we've seen that he can, um, you know, he can, he can compete with Kaibo on a good day for sure. Oh, for sure. And so fun. I think, I think it is fun from the young Russian to be aggressive like that. You know what I mean? Like, I love to see athletes, young athletes, especially like take no prisoners. Like who cares if it's Kaibo? Don't be scared. Like try, this is your day. This was Terentiev's day of the tour, classic sprint, Oberstorf championship style course. And he was doing everything right. And you know what? Some people criticize him like, like, oh, you're going too close. But he also understands. I thought it actually was smart of him because he understands that you can't give Claybo space or else he's gone. It's game over. So he he was trying to play tight and he just, he made, it was like so too bad that he just was too close to Claybo. You know, you want to be right in a slipstream, but of course, because there's chicaning, like because you're turning, you you gotta just be a little careful. Uh, and and he was, you just played it too close, and and like you said, his his tips went over Claybo's tails, and and you, you can't do that when you're changing direction at all. And he fell, and it was it was really too bad to see because that that was going to be an awesome final. It still was a great final. I thought, I thought uh, for me uh cool for volness to be back i mean they were they went one two on that exact same course at world championships last year so that's not surprising but man paul goldberg is peaking the guy's back and i know evan like uh evan Ortug, and i was cheering for i know paul too i mean of course the been when you've been around as long as me you know these guys but uh evan Ortug, i was really cheering for evan i mean he he was doing everything right man he was he was positioning himself perfect he all the corner everything evan nortek was textbook it was and he had it you know like he he had that at locked up and he didn't even tighten up really just paul goldberg is in the is in the shape he hasn't been in in seven years and that's not true he won that he, he's, he's in the same shape that he that he won the the tron like ski tour like the Trondheim or the Sweden Norway ski tour a couple of years ago where he's, he's just on form in all disciplines. And 
Oof, heartbreaking, heartbreaking for me to see uh, Evan get pipped again and finish fourth. But I mean, what a season Evan Northug's having. He's been in three finals and he's been in the semifinals in the other two races. It's uh, And he's not on the national team. And I, people that are listening at home and are probably like, Devin, shut up about the Norwegians. You have no idea how hard it is for these guys that aren't on the Norwegian national team to get starts on the World Cup, let alone deliver. And, and he's doing it week in, week out. It's awesome. Really have enjoyed watching Evan Northug on, on the World Cup circuit this year. It's like, it, I just had this like flash today when I was watching the race. It's like the camera pans over to him and you're like, wait, Petter's in this race. Like they, <laughs> they look so much alike. And it's like, it's, it's just fun to, you know, see that family kind of have some persistence on the, on the circuit. So um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm going to sort of betray some pretty bad ignorance as a guy that is, um, you know, a podcast co-host um, is, is Norwegian Olympic team, like is Norwegian nationals going to come up here and are, are there like Olympic spots on the line or that's not how they're doing stuff anymore? No, this is, that's good. It's good. You mentioned that. Cause some, some people that follow along might want to know, normally that is how it goes. Normally you have Norwegian nationals before the championship. The thing is, is the championships at high altitude and the Norwegian program understands that these guys need to have preparation and time at altitude before they travel to China. So there is no Norwegian nationals before it's, it's never like that, but this year Norwegian nationals are happening in the spring. There is no Norwegian championship prior to the, to the selection. And that means that these, that's why these tour to ski stages are so hotly contested. And the thing is we, we have not touched on this, but, but Emil Everson, it just goes from bad to worse. He came into this tour. His training has been going great back home. He felt like he was recharged and ready and he just stunk up the joint all the whole tour, you know, it's been disaster. And he qualified 28th in a classic sprint on that course. Like he should be qualifying top five and decided not even to show up for the quarterfinal and he's going home. And the funny thing is that is like, he's already been picked for the Olympics, which is to me seems crazy because he has had a horrendous season, like so bad. How are you going to leave guys like Harold Abinson at home or a number of other big name players like at home, oh, young guns, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You're leaving all these guys at home and, and you're going to give the nod to Everson. But what I will also say is, for those that are getting their like underwear and a nod about this, Norway seems to always make these decisions and it seems to work out. I mean, if you go all the way back to 2003 and you want to super dork out Thomas Allsgaard and no Emily Everson is not Thomas Allsgaard. They're not even close to the same, like not even close. Thomas Allsgaard is like one of the best skiers that ever lived. And Emily Everson is a, a very solid world cup skier, but um, they picked Thomas Allsgaard for the world championships in Val de Fiem in 2003 and he didn't score a single world cup point that season or if he scored a world cup point he scored like three or something and he won the 30k classic and then was the hero of the relay and everyone's like okay sorry we said you should like there was a lot of criticism like tom thomas allsgaard shouldn't go to the championship he's over the hill he's done he can't do anything and then who shows up at the championship and dominates allsgaard so for for emily Everson's sake if they do decide to keep keep him or if they he is going to the olympics and um, if he gets a start, don't be surprised if he turns his season around or at the, at the last possible second, that said, it's not looking good. And if I was Emily Everson, you know, he's going home, he's going back to Marocker to try and like, to try and re re find his form. If I was Emily Everson, my only advice to him would be, you know what, if you are safe and you are going to the Olympics, maybe you shouldn't go back to Marocker. Maybe you should go to altitude 
and go to Sizerelm, go to a beautiful place, 2000 meters, bring your brother with you, bring a friend with you, whatever, not think about skiing so much, go out for long, long skis every day, nice and chill. And, uh, you know, have a glass of wine with amazing Italian dinner every night or Tyrolean dinner and, uh, and, and just kind of like recenter yourself, but do it at altitude so that you're adjusted. Cause Emma Leverson's a big guy. He's not proven at altitude. Um, going back to Marocker, I think, I don't know if I was Emily Verson, I'd for sure be going to size realm now. So he doesn't listen I, I mean, to this, but that's what I do. I, I was going to say, I assume he's listening to, to yeah, yeah, yeah. episode. I hope so. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like we, we can sort of move toward wrapping up and looking toward sort of the end of the tour. I just, I, and maybe you guys covered this on the last episode too, but um, just nice to see like Bolshunov uh, back. Like, you know, he's clearly like, you know, back to kind of skiing, to his potential. I, I sent you, you know, a couple screenshots where they were sort of talking about how, like, you know, it just seemed like everyone was kind of freaking out in the Russian ski world about, about Bolshunov and, and, you know, should he be racing? Should he be resting? He wanted to race. The ski federation didn't want him to rest, didn't want him to race. They wanted him to rest or train or whatever. Um, you know, whatever he's kind of been through, it seems like he's kind of back, back to himself and, and, you know, nice to just like make for a little more, competition in some of these races and kind of looking toward the Olympics too. I don't know if you have any op- other observations. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't seem like we're setting up for a hugely exciting men's finish to the tour, but you never know, I guess, you know, you missed the wax in Val de Fiamme or something like that. And I guess everything changes, but yeah, exactly. A lot. You're absolutely right with that. Like the women's, the women's tour de ski final is going to be awesome. Cause like I said, you know, like Nepreva better classic skier than Jesse Diggins. I expect Neprieva to take some time on Des- Jesse Diggins in Val de Fiamme, but if Jesse Diggins can hold her own, uh, you know, like she's still a favorite to take this tour to ski, which is so awesome because nothing against Diggins' win last year, like we've talked a lot about. She won the tour to ski last year, super historic, awesome, everything like that. But, um, you know, the Swedes hadn't raced the World Cup, and when they did show up at the tour to ski, Ebba Anderson showed up at Val Muster, which is right under 1,800 meters, right from Sweden, and just like, sucked in Val Mustera because she wasn't adjusted to altitude. But this year, the only person missing in that start field is Rosie Brandon and 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 Therese Johag. So if Diggins wins this year, uh, there is no asterisk whatsoever. Like, that is an amazing win. And, and she's she's in a good position, but she's got a you know she's got a she's got a harpoon her Moby Dick out there, man. That white whale is tough for her in Val de Fiem and I hope that she can deliver a good one. And then for the men's race, I agree with you. I, it's not all that exciting, but Bolshinov, like you said, so good to see him back, man. Like, like I am so looking forward. That's the thing. I'm like I, I find men's racing like pretty boring lately. And even though the performances are beautiful, and Claybo is like a, a wonder to watch. Like he's an artist on skis. It's it's we're witnessing greatness. It's awesome. Um, that said 15 K classic Niskanen versus Bolshinov on a championship course like Val de Fiam is I'm really looking forward to that race. And Paul Paul's in good shape. And I mean, Claybo will be there cause he's in such good shape too. So it'll be a fun race. And, um, but for the overall, you know, Claybo has a minute 19 on Bolshinov. Is that enough? Yeah, I think that is enough this year, but that, but could Bolshinov and Ivo Niskanen ski away from Claybo and Val de Fiam? I think it's quite unlikely. Uh, in the shape that Claybo's in, but if anyone could do it, it's those two guys. And if you remember, when those two guys are firing in all cylinders, just go back and watch the 50k from Pyeongchang in the Olympics the last time around. Uh, Ivo Niskanen and Bolshunov, Alexander Bolshunov, are, are 
they're cut above in classic and, and they, they could do some damage. And if they do, it'll make for an exciting hill climb. Cause I mean, the reality is if Bolshinov comes within, let's say like 30, even 40 seconds of, of Klebo, Bolshinov wins the tour. He does, he comes back on him and he wins. So there is still some excitement, but it, I agree. It, it, the women's race is what is what's up this year. As far as excitement goes, we've got uh, American nationals coming up here this week too. I don't know if, you know, we need to cover those, but that'll be, you know, at least a little bit more fun stuff to talk about by the time we're um, back after, uh, after the hill climb. So um, yeah. lots, lots going and on Canadian on and Canadian Olympic trials are happening. And even with the COVID situation, so they're going to get those off the, they're going to get those off the ground. That's exciting to follow along as well. After a, you know, an amazing Ruka with uh, Tony Sear and, and Olivier Levillier with uh, fantastic races in Ruka, the wheels fell off after that and, and people got sick and just weren't skiing well. So it was a really challenging period one for Canada, um, other than Ruka. And so there's, there's some spots still up for grabs. And then from the U.S. side of things, I, will, I would like to talk with you about that a little later, maybe get someone on there for that. You know, the U.S. usually takes like the whole farm to the Olympics. Like you're going to the Olympics. You're going to the Olympics. Like, come on. It's like, you're the sixth reserve. You're, you're in, come on over here. You get the clothes and you just watch the Olympic events, knowing there's no way in hell you're going to start any races. But you know what, with this change of the quota system, the U S looks like they're only going to have five men. It looks like they're only going to be able to take five men to the Olympics. And if you go through the history and start reading the rosters for Olympics for us men over the years, only five men. It's going to be interesting how they're going to divvy that up. Honestly, I, I, because there's a lot of good young guns and, um, you know, I feel a little bit bad for the, for the Americans at home, especially the men at home. That's like, you know, this is their like big dream, uh, is just to, to race at the Olympics. Like it's going to be a tough decision. Like, what do you do? Do you, do you take Scott Patterson? I mean, I know Scott Patterson has a wrist injuries coming back from and stuff or Norris, but you know, you got these guys that are like workhorses, Norris and, and uh, Scott Patterson that are great in distance when they're in shape. But of course, Ben Ogden's going to the Olympics. Of course, Bolger's going to the Olympics. Okay. Well now you're down to three. Schumacher. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. JC is 100% the Olympics. Now there's only one spot left. What right. do you do? Right. What do you do? So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a fun story to follow along with that. And then U.S. Nationals always brings a lot of excitement. So I'm looking forward to following along. We, we always say this is why they pay those U.S. ski team coaches those huge salaries yeah. just to make those decisions like that. For so, sure. I mean, I, I and, and I feel like, you know, everyone's talking about it. You know, I'm, I'm with buddies last night talking about, you know, who's going to go to the Olympics, who's going to get left at home. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's just I mean, I, and I feel like there's this resonance in, um, in the U S and in Canada as well, where, you know, cross-country skiing, as much as we'd all love it to be mainstream, like it's a niche sport and, oh, you know, yeah. the, the Olympics is like, it just has this, I mean, anywhere, but it's like, it, it, it has the potential to like do so much for a person and a ski community. If you're talking about a person for who, sure. you know, has connections and, and a history and a place and with a club and, that you know you just get that whole layer added on to and it's i just it's uh you know i think i, I you know we do pay u.s skiing and the coaches to like make these decisions and they're you know going to be accountable for them but it's also it's just such always like a painful you know we had like legal appeals i think last time around or two times ago and it just it ends up being a really 
painful thing. And, um, you know, I, there's, I think it's, is it the Vordenberg saying where it's like, if you don't want to be on the bubble, don't be on the bubble. So, yeah. um, you know, like yeah, and I agree. And then I, 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 I couldn't agree with Vordenberg. I mean, I agree with Vordenberg most of the time. And that, that is definitely like, if you want to make your, you want to make your case, be Ben Ogden or JC you're in <laughs> like, you, it's no question. Of course you're going to the Olympics. Like you guys are kicking ass. You're in semifinals. Like it's happening. But, um, but that said, uh, yeah, the, the, in Canada and in the U.S., it is weird how much the Olympics loom large. And for a lot of that stuff, I think it's just hokey and stupid. But what you just said about clubs and and how uh, inspiring the next generation of young skiers. And like, if you're from Winthrop or if you're from like I'm from Sudbury, for Christ's sakes, like one of the worst cities in the world. Like, you know, it, it does it does like do something for for a community. And, and that's tough, but the appeals and like the legal shit, <laughs> like anytime you bring this up in Europe, like people look at you, like you have 17 heads. They're like, what? It's like, oh yeah. Like it's like the guy that like was seventh or not seventh was third at us nationals is suing his way onto the team. They're like, has he raced the world cup before? It's like, yeah, I did once. And he was 78th. It's like, Harold Albinson is not going to go to the Olympics. He has a bronze medal from last year and he's 22 years old, 23 years old. And he's not going to like start lowering, lowering up and like kicking Emma Leverson off the team. It's a cultural thing. Yeah. If there's it's, one it's, thing it's, I'd like to see change. Individualism. Yeah. yeah. If there's one thing I'd like to see culture change in, in Canada, in the U S is understanding high performance sport a little better. And uh, you know, I understand that, not every case is cut and dry. I don't want to paint everything with the same brush. A lot of people have a good reason to appeal or, or perhaps there was definitely, definitely like um, criteria wasn't followed or whatever, but it, it just sours the whole, the whole process. And coming back to Vordenberg, if you don't want to be on the bubble, don't be on the bubble and don't let it go to appeals. Just, just kick ass win every race at us nationals. And then you have a good case, you know, or, or be in the semifinal every, you know, two thirds of the time on the world cup in, in sprints, guess what? You're going to go to the Olympics. You'll do the sprint there. That's just how it is. And so that's what people should be inspiring to and using their energy properly. So good luck we'll, to everyone. We'll, we'll, educate, <laughs> we'll educate North America on elite sport. Uh, one episode of the Devin Kershaw show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll be back, uh, whatever day it is, a couple, Tuesday. couple, three days from now. Uh, I'm on vacation. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to know. Um, but we'll, yeah. we'll be back in a couple days after uh, the uh, Alp Chermis, and yeah. uh, we'll try and get a guest yeah. on for that because that's always a fun one to to dissect.